She's here visiting a friend of her mother whose daughter has gone missing. The mother owns a turnip farm. I told her to tell the mother that her daughter will turn up eventually. She didn't get it either. Drop it. Duncan and both come correct. Whole episode about cherry pie. Oh, man. They're... It's the greatest fucking thing ever. It's the greatest thing ever. Like, every, every, like honestly, the payoffs in this show, like the payoffs to stories that you don't know where they're going at all are just fucking amazing. Yeah, it... It's just amazing. It, it, there are so many things to discuss, Duncan. On uh, this evening's program, ladies and gentlemen, this is uh, Duncan and Bo, come correct, or Duncan and Bo, go to Twin Peaksies, uh, colon... Twin Peaks, colon, the returnsies, uh, depending on how, <laughs> actually, which week you're listening to. Sometimes I forget shit. Um, but thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. This is, of course, a podcast in which myself and my co-host, Duncan McLeish, right here. Hello. How's everyone doing? Hopefully well. I don't actually care at all, but um, I'll just pretend that I do for the, the sake of Bo's introduction. I appreciate that, as do the <laughs> listeners, I'm, I'm sure. Um, so we have been, uh, traveling through, uh, the investigation into the death of Laura Palmer and beyond, uh, in Twin Peaks. Uh, we are now into the back end of, uh, of, of season three, Mm -hmm. uh, with episodes 11 and 12, uh, which are like batty in, not in an episode eight way. Although we're definitely talking about some episode eight shit this time around. Oh yes, oh yeah, just a bit. But it's batty in that it these two episodes almost feel like the most David Lynch episode so far in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. There's in a lot of those long takes and just awkward situations and just general David Lynch weirdness uh, that is, is kind of wonderful. But before we get into that, Duncan. Uh, we have uh, sworn to the listeners to describe uh, a couple of movies that we've been excited about recently. <laughs> I thought you were just like, we were sworn to the listeners. I was like, yeah, all the time. I call them dicks. Yeah, no, we are, we are, <laughs> we, we have a sworn duty is what I meant. Not like swear at, like, oh, hey, yeah. this, hey, come over here. I'm going to hit you in the puss. Um, <laughs> it's not quite swearing, but, um <laughs> it, it was in 1933. <laughs> That'd get you locked up. <laughs> An intake of uh, a vast intake of oxygen all around the room. <gasps> right. Said puss. Well, she was showing an ankle. I had to put her put her in a place, see? <laughs> Give her one in the puss. Uh, <laughs> that's how it happens. Uh but <laughs> uh American thirties colloquialism aside, Duncan. Uh, what have you been watching lately of note, uh, good and bad? Ah, so I will continue on with my list, my 31 of Halloween. So uh, on the first 10, obviously singled out, uh, XX as a, as a not so great movie. Really, really didn't like that one at all. Um, kind of following on from that, I have seen many, many movies. Uh, and the one that I'm going to single out Surprise, surprise, is Leatherface. 
It's not a good movie. <laughs> no. <laughs> really not a good movie. In fact, it's a surprisingly bad movie. Um, I see surprisingly not as in because that franchise has delivered its fair share, in fact, more than its fair share of duds, but in that the directors are the couple behind Inside, which is like the greatest home invasion movie ever made. They made a little movie called Livid, which I think is like... It's kind of like a darker, more sinister Del Toro flick. I think it's super cool, super good. So I didn't think this movie was going to be great. I didn't realise it was going to be the the heaping train wreck that it is. A movie that really doesn't know what it is. Doesn't know if it's a Texas Chainsaw movie. Doesn't know if it's kind of... Doesn't really know whether it's trying to humanise the character of Leatherface or... Are trying to highlight how deranged he actually is. Um, the See, performance uh, that that almost feels like the problem that uh, uh, Elm Street remake had. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Not to interrupt, but it just like, oh yeah, that don't do that. Yep, I th- that was my. That was in fact it's funny you mentioned it. It was one of my one of my things when when watching the movie. I, I tend to. When it comes to like franchise franchise killers, um, I, I tend to like them with as little information as possible. Uh, the reason behind that is the less I know, the more scared I get because I don't understand their motivation. Don't know why they're doing what they're doing, and that terrifies me. Um, when you start to, well, oh, they come from a broken home, and then, then this happened, and at that point, I'm just, uh, you know, kind of like staring at a wounded puppy. You go, oh. I don't want to feel that way about Leatherface. And and we've already had a couple of origin attempts at Leatherface. One was he was found in a dumpster. Uh, if you watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the beginning, such a fucking bad idea. Um, but in the case of this one, it's just... I just don't... I, it's not that I don't buy it. I just don't think it's clever at all. Um, the, the explanation, I don't really want to give too much away because I, I think... If you get the opportunity to see it and not spend money on it, then maybe you should try and do that. Um, there's nothing about it that feels... There's nothing about it at all that actually feels good. I, I think that was my, my big takeaway from it. Yes, there's gore in it, but the gore itself is not remarkable But by any stretch of the imagination. Um, The family themselves are, of course, the most deranged thing that could have ever existed in the, you know, back hills of Texas or wherever they are. I don't even know if there are hills in Texas. There are now. Um, Just, it's so painfully trying to paint this character as... Because when we first meet him, when we first meet... um, that Jebediah, I can't even remember now, uh, he doesn't really want to partake in what the family's doing and the family are already ultraviolet and already use chainsaws to kill people. So, I mean, that mystery's gone. Um, he doesn't want to, to be part of that. And then the transformation by the end of the movie after he comes out of an insane asylum um, kind of goes in the direction that you'd expect. So I, I don't know. I just don't understand the purpose of the movie at all. I, I just felt like, because this is supposed to be a prequel to the original movie, and there's nothing about it at all that even remotely sparks of a, a hint 
of what we get to see in that original movie. So why bother? I, I, I don't I don't get it. It doesn't even happily segue or fit directly into that first movie. It kind of feels like a weird standalone hybrid combination of some of the later sequels. Um, when I say some of the later sequels, I mean some of the really bad later sequels. And just no real sense of of a clear direction of where they want to take that movie out with. They want to show how this, you know, not innocent little kid, but this kid from this really bad family that's trying to not be like the rest of his family, has some bad things done to him, so he ultimately ends up just like his family. I don't want to see that movie. I don't yeah. want to see that movie. I'm more uh, interested just, in the, uh, like, uh, uh, God, what was it? The Billy something movie? Like, if Leatherface just wanted to dance... You know, his family's like, no, we're chainsaw Billy killers. Elliot. Billy Elliot. <laughs> and he's just like, no, mom, I want to dance. And <laughs> not sure what that accent is. Uh, not sure. Um, but yeah, I, just, I don't know. <laughs> it's, yeah, it was just, it's just not a very good movie at all. Um, and I can see why it never made its way to the cinema um, at all. Because the previous one did. The previous one did. Not bad money. Uh, 3D did not bad money at the cinema, so you would have thought, even though it's been a while away, uh, this would have maybe... And the climate we're having just now with horror movies, being a franchise horror movie, you wouldn't really need to do too much to get that on the big screen, and I'm very glad that they didn't, because it would have been destroyed, um, and rightly so. Not a good movie. Uh, really, really not a good movie. So, yeah, that's the one that I did not like. Um, of the ones that I did like, I've actually seen quite a few movies which have been you know, really, really cool installments and horror movies um, out there. And I know that I'm being singled down to one. So talk about the one I saw at the cinema last night. Big success story once again for Blumhouse, who, like, literally can do anything they want at the moment. I think Jason Blum next year is literally going to be one of the most powerful people in Hollywood. I can't see how you can't be with his track record this year. is just phenomenal. And it was Happy Death Day, um, which I'm going to steal a pun that I found, which was absolutely amazing, uh, by Mark Kermode, uh, the great uh, film critic of the UK, who basically said, is, uh, people are saying that it's a cross between Groundhog Day and Scream, uh, which isn't quite right. It's more like Groundhog Slay. See what you did there? I do see what you did there, and I approve. Kind of loved it. Yeah, kind of loved it. Um, so yeah, I went to see it at the cinema last night. It's just been released in the UK. It's already been out in the States for a week. And it did <laughs> surprisingly well. Uh, oh, again, another horror movie doing really, really well in the States. Um, so much so that uh, its opening weekend was only five million short of the opening weekend that Blade Runner had. And it outperformed Blade Runner, Blade Runner second week release in the USA, which is nuts. <laughs> it's the world we live in, Duncan. It's the world we live in. Fucking nuts. Um, it's a ton of fun, though. Happy Death Day is not original in any way, shape, or form. And unlike Leatherface, it just felt like a fun movie. I, I got in with it really, really, really quick. Um, I guessed the killer by about the 20-minute mark, and I was spot on. And generally, that would kind of sour my viewing of a movie. It didn't. Um, I, I loved the the... 
the kind of nods to the horror genre that were kind of peppered throughout the kind of meta nods. I loved the there's a, a, a certain emotional hook in the story, which I think is done really, really well. Um, I think the acting is on point. It's quirky, it's loud, it's bubbly, it's colourful. Um, I've read an article this week saying, is this the return of the slasher? And I'm like, then we get this every time. But then I was doing the math, Bo. Doing some math. I like some math. Right. I, I'm yeah. not a fan, but go ahead. I was doing a little bit of math. Um, and about every 20 years or so, um, maybe between 15 and 20 years, we get an influx of slasher movies, which do well for a couple of years and then they vanish. So they're obviously saying Happy Death Day has come out, it's done quite well. Halloween's coming out next year. Um, and they're expecting more slasher titles to be released in between just because of the success of um, it. They expect people are going to be churning out a lot of horror projects that have been on the back burner for a while. I don't necessarily think it's true. I, I think whilst Happy Death Day is, for all intents purposes, a slasher movie, I think it is very far removed from... It's not like Scream, you know, where it was being meta, but at the same time was a horror movie. Happy Death Day plays with horror tropes, but it's a comedy. Um, very much so before it's a horror movie. There's nothing scary about it at all. Um, you don't get to see very many gruesome deaths at all because of the age group that it's aimed for. Uh, but what it was was a, a very fun, very enjoyable ride. Um, and I thoroughly enjoyed seeing it at the cinema. And it was one of those ones where I could hear, like it was packed theatre, opening night, I could hear everyone laughing when they were supposed to, getting behind it, there was cheers at certain points. Just a great cinema experience and a movie which has done, like I say, very, very, very well. Um, so much so that I think they're already, I think after its opening weekend, it already greenlit the sequels. So, um, yeah, a, a ton of fun. Um, a, a movie with surprising heart. So, yeah, that's my two movies. What about yourself, Bo Ransdell? Or should I call you Whiskers? Uh, whiskers <laughs> indeed, Duncan. Because uh, I've been curious about some movies. Uh-huh. Segway. Um, and... All right, so I'm going to give, this is kind of my down note, uh, but I don't think it's a terrible movie. All right. Uh, called Found Footage 3D. It's on my list. And it's it thinks it's clever, it's more clever than it is by half. Oh. And it's a little too winky nudgy. But the end of it is really solid. It's one of the ironic found footage movies where most of the movie is kind of irritating, but it ends well. (laughs) And, uh, and I like, I I like the turns in the ending. One thing that minor spoiler, but also it kind of bugged me is that, uh, what's his name? Scott Weinberg from, uh, Dread Central. Is it, Mm -hmm. uh, it uh, plays himself in the movie. Uh, because I, I don't know if you know the premise. The, the whole premise, and this is why it's real winky nudgy, you know, nods as good as a wink to a blind bat kind of thing, is <laughs> <laughs> that it's about uh, a group of filmmakers who want to make the first 3D found footage movie. And meanwhile, someone is filming the documentary of the making of this movie, which, of course, is the movie within the movie and blah, blah, blah. 
Uh, All right. And and but it knows that a little bit too much. And uh it's more Jamie Kennedy giving you the rules from Scream than playing oh. it as straight as I would kind of like. Right. But uh, but like I said, ends well worth it to see some of the pretty good effects at times. Uh it kind of goes for it. Not as good as something like, you know, a capture kill release. Uh mm-hmm. but it's all right. Um I but again, that's kind of my down for this week. And then uh a movie another movie that is also isn't necessarily exceptional, but uh I wanted to talk about it is the movie A Dark Song. Oh, I love the dark song. I I love the idea of a dark song so much. And also, Duncan, the fucking balls on that ending. <laughs> I, I was on board for that. I thought that was a great ending. Yeah, I love it. I thought the ending was phenomenal. I have heard a lot of people... Uh, the ending seems to be where a lot of people have checked out of that movie. So, I well, I, I again, I thought it was like the sheer fucking balls mm-hmm. to be like, hey, that thing we've been talking about this whole movie, here it is. Yeah, w- and what do you know about that? And I thought it was cool. <laughs> um, yeah, I really like that. Um, I yeah, I thought in, in the like the journey through the the basement of the house or whatever when she's being pulled back. I mm-hmm. thought was really chilling. I thought that was there some terrifying imagery in there. Um, I wish there had been a bit more about the ritual stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll also, I wasn't crazy about the ending. I, I can't think of the, the male lead's name, but kind of his resolution in the film felt kind of strangely unsatisfying. All right. Um, He's a director, by the way. Um, yeah, but I, but I think it's a, a, an incredibly interesting movie and i really like this notion of like hey i'm i'm a mother who's lost a child i'm now committed to this idea of doing this week's potentially months long ritual to speak to my child again mm-hmm. and the like the practical aspect of that it, like one of my favorite things in horror anyway is when you try to make something like crazy and supernatural somewhat scientific mm-hmm. and and the approach to it is kind of that in this movie even though it's all you know the whole movie is essentially listeners uh, uh you know a woman trying to contact her dead child and she enlists the aid of a guy who knows how to perform all these creepy rituals and whatnot um but once you start it you can't stop and you can't leave the house mm-hmm. and that's the premise and it i wish it did a little more with it and i don't even know what i mean by that um right. I, I just feel like there i wish there had been a little more meat on the bone or something uh but like i said i i, I thought it was an incredibly interesting movie and a movie unlike anything i think i've ever seen um in 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 terms of the subject matter i don't know if i've ever seen a movie about this yeah, to me, I thought um, this is the this is what I'd been looking forward to for the last maybe five six years. This is the Wheatley effect. This is what I've been I've been clinging to because I, I said when I saw Kill List for the first time, I was like, "Oh, this is this is unlike anything I've seen before." This is going to start influencing some people to do some things. And I've been waiting, <laughs> and Ben Wheatley's been churning his movies out. Um, he's he's kind of moved away from horror uh, with his last movie, Free Fire. But 
It's interesting that this year, the the two main cast of Sightseers, um, Alice Lowe and the guy from uh, A Dark Song, have both put out horror movies, which both aesthetically look very much like they've come from the brain of Ben Wheatley and uh, Prevenge and, um, you know, A Dark Song. So both those those cast members have went away and cast movies um, with themselves in them and directed them. And they feel like they feel like Wheatley-esque movies. Um, and, and we've even got The Ghoul came out this year, and I can't strongly recommend The Ghoul enough. I think it's another one of these phenomenal pieces of work, which is heavily influenced by, by Ben Wheatley. But watching A Dark Song, that's what I got. It's kind of like this weird rebirth of kind of of British horror movies. This to me felt like an inherently British horror movie. Um, you know, like the sort of thing that that you would have seen in the, the these weird, like kind of one-off movies released by weird studios in the 70s, um, which they would kind of dabble in maybe talking about Satanism, but without fully committing to it. Um, that's kind of what this movie felt like for me. And I, I loved everything about this movie. I didn't really want to know too much about the, you know, the, the inner workings of what the the ritual was because to me that was part of the the enjoyment of this is I didn't know what she had to do next and I was as confused as her when I was being told to do certain things. Um, like the ending to me, like when they when they like drag her down, um, once again mild spoiler, into the basement, you see that I was like, this is fucking terrifying. Yeah. Absolutely terrifying, and the resolution—the kind of last shot of this movie—does something which is so against the grain of what horror movies are doing right now. It doesn't give you the ending that you expect at all. It gives you a completely different ending, one that I got on fully on board with because I was like, "Why not? Why not?" I've seen the—I've seen almost every incarnation of the most depressing fuck you ending. Like on cinema, why not give me this ending? I want this ending. Thanks for giving me this ending. And I, there was, I just got behind it wholly, and I just loved the experience of it. And it's one that I'm wanting to revisit before the end of the year because, as it currently stands, it's in my top five of the year. I think it's, I think it's super, super strong. Um, I feel there is only room for either that one or The Ghoul in my top five. And I think The Ghoul, which is maybe even less a horror movie, deals with the occult subject matter in an equally interesting way as a dark song. But yeah, like as like, there's not a movie that I've seen this year that remotely feels like a dark song. And that's kind of what I'm gravitating towards the, the, the kind of the the longer in the tooth I get with horror nowadays is like, I, I look forward to every year seeing a movie that is just doing things that I've never seen done before narratively or taking me in a, a, in a journey where I, I genuinely don't, it's not that I don't feel safe. I just don't know what's coming. Uh, where I go and see something like happy death day in 20 minutes into, I know roughly what the resolution of that movie is going to be. And I've already guessed what the kill, who the killer is. Uh, watching something like a dark song, I didn't have a clue what was happening right to the very end. Um, and even then, there's a bit of mystery about exactly what happened in the in the house, and I kind of love that. So yeah, I, 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 that to me is a it was a super strong movie. I'm glad that you checked it out, man. I, that's one of those ones where I've been quietly talking about it because I know that a lot of people have been kind of cold on the end, and so um, 
and I don't just want my wall to be plastered with people disagreeing with me because I get enough of that every year. <laughs> yeah, and in just day-to-day life, I'm sure. Oh, no, never in day-to-day life, Bo. How dare you? Mm. <laughs> Not the oh. answer I expected. Um, <laughs> so You did check out. Now, this is one that I'm like, kind of prolonging this segment slightly. You did check out Hymns of Love. I did. I did. What did, uh, what did you think? Because I, I love that movie as well. Yeah, it it's really good. It was a tough watch for me. Um, not not because of it being a poorly made film at all. It was a tough watch just because the subject matter is incredibly brutal. Oh yeah, it's grim as fuck. Yeah, and uh, I wasn't in a great place for a movie that dark. <laughs> <laughs> oh no <laughs> yeah like as soon as she gets chained to the bed it's just like oh fuck all right i mean <laughs> yes it, it's good like it it's a good movie and it's a good character study of kind of all three of these characters mm-hmm. um i enjoyed it i need to go back and watch it uh you know <laughs> in a better frame of mind uh because the entire time i was watching it, i was just like i don't want to be seeing this i just don't yeah. Like, you know, it, it just wasn't, I wasn't a good headspace for it. I did enjoy it, though. Uh, I, th- I think it's a very good movie, and I look forward to watching it again uh, when the movie won't just make me suicidal. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's another one of those that's it's that, like, a, a relative unknown's made that movie. That's his debut, uh, you know, his first feature film. And I was watching it going, this guy's fucking nailed it. <laughs> He's yeah, actually nailed it. it. I mean, it's been a real embarrassment of riches this year, just like it was last year. Like yeah. you know, the past couple of years have been real outstanding. Um, you know, when when we're kind of talking about these lesser known movies or uh or lesser known directors or new directors and they're doing good stuff like uh, uh Devil's Candy is another one. Oh, yeah, so good. Is like, well, I've just never seen that movie before and mm-hmm. And and that's an, another one where I'm like, uh, I'm not, I, I wish it ended a little differently just mm-hmm. to cater to my own personal taste. But uh, but I love that movie. Uh, yeah. I think it's got a real style and a, a real attitude that I, I can get behind. And uh, so, yeah, there's just been a ton of movies uh, this year that are worthy of some attention. And it, man, that that top 10 list this year is going to be rugged. Oh yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be harsh. Um, I'm looking, I'm very much looking forward to doing it. Um, I will just say that there's another Australian horror movie that came out about the same time as Hymns of Love, uh, called The Killing Ground. And if you are, <laughs> if you thought that watching Hymns of Love was a uncomfortable, brutal, nihilistic movie, then yeah, Killing Ground is worse. So maybe avoid that one. I was watching that movie, going, the person that made this movie hates humanity. <laughs> and hates his audience and wants to make them suffer. There was literally no joy to be found in that movie. And there is one particular scene with an infant death that fucking floored me. I was like, I, I just, I felt my jaw drop uh, while watching it. I was like, oh, what? <laughs> just Australia, man. Honestly, that, 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 is, that is a country that knows how to make its horror movies stick. Well, Every single one stick. It's all them big goddamn spiders they have. Like you <laughs> could be literally carried off, spun into a web, and drained of your essential fluids at any second. <laughs> so yeah, I mean it's a more brutal reality down there. Yeah, that's why the witchy show's so good. 
That's why yeah. Witch versus the Doomsday Clock is like unlike any other show and, on the planet because he's Australian, right? And well, and also keep in mind it's a show about the apocalypse. Yeah, and again, it's, it's them big spiders. <laughs> that's, why right. that's why you can't have pets in Australia. You can't have anything no, in Australia. Cats, dogs, nothing. They get they all get ed up by them spiders. <laughs> Relatives, happy memories. No. Um, like <laughs> nothing. <laughs> they they give you surfing and that's it. That yeah, that's that's the price to play pay for for nice weather, good food and surfing. That's why they're all in such good shape. Yeah. Oh, I mean it's running running from spiders and surfing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get to go. You get to go and surf out there, and then be surrounded by sharks and poisonous sea animals. Right, right. Like yeah. scrounging for food during the day before the spider's time comes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, it's yeah. a real, it's a real yeah. sci-fi channel production down there. Yeah, uh, like every morning, every morning in Australia, I picture people opening their curtains to that final shot from Kingdom from the Spiders. Oh, <laughs> <Just> yeah. Like, <laughs> just a town covered in spider webs. Yeah, um, and they're just like, hello, Tuesday. <laughs> they don't be... That's a Dick Van Dyke lives in Australia. Yeah, well, um, you know. There we go. Uh, <laughs> oh, let's, 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 let's bring this. Let's bring this into... Like, you know, I'm so excited because... Once again, I, I kind of feel like the We Hate Movies guys may have to, to renege on some of the uh, Jim Belushi slagging that they've been doing because this episode has primo Belushi, like great Belushi. I, I'm loving Belushi. Give me more Belushi. Let me see Belushi one more time. Belushi. Uh, well, Duncan, before we get to Jimbo oh. Belushi. <laughs> Jimbo. Jimbo Belushi. Yep. We uh, we start with oh. episode 11, mm-hmm. and uh, a couple of kids uh, playing some catch uh, around the trailer. You know, good old American uh, innocence. And, and <laughs> what David Lynch loves more than anything, Duncan, preserving innocence. Yeah, it, it does not like to juxtapose it behind, beside anything sinister. No. Uh, but... Inexplicably, Duncan. Uh, <laughs> Miriam, who I would have assumed was dead. I thought she was dead as well. <laughs> uh, from uh, the last episode, you'll remember, uh, Richard Horn, dirtbag Richard Horn, beat the shit out of her and left her in her trailer with the gas going. Mm-hmm. But Miriam, uh, through, I assume, pie strength. Um, <laughs> pie reserves. Yeah. Called on... <laughs> couple of pieces in storage and was like got to get out yeah Need she is pie <laughs> she, she knocked over the freezer and two frozen bits of pie came out which she used as chisels to grapple into the ground and pull herself along yeah it was like popeye she's like da 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 and <laughs> pies went into ovens on her biceps and then she escaped the trailer but uh she's in rough shape like she does not look well she was she's crawling through the weeds yeah. and and the kids come upon her when they hit uh our throw ball uh over the over the road and uh it really that's kind of it it's just like oh my god miriam's alive and not doing well quite mm-hmm. frankly looks a mess so then we go to the fat trout uh trailer park and Becky, aka Amanda Seyfried, doll's eyes, uh, she gets a phone call 
and starts freaking out because she doesn't. Oh, she loses her shit. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't have her car, and is just yeah, like like you said, losing her nut big time. So she calls Shelly, her mom, and is like, "Hey, I need your car." And Shelly, uh, dutiful mother that she is, is like, "All right, Norma, I gotta go." Norma does not look like she approves of any of this. Norma doesn't look like she. There's and this whole season thus far, Norma will make the approval sign or or, or facial expression once. It's also in this episode and later on. But yeah, she looks like she's that she's Norma's been around. Norma's seen some shit, and she recognizes shit when she sees it now. Oh yeah, she was married to shit. Yeah, remember big, uh, what was his name? Hank. Uh, yeah, <laughs> kind of feel like. Now we've mentioned his name. Evoking his name requires an impression, Bo. It's about time. Because uh, <laughs> he died in the book. We, did, we didn't get to, like, he died in the secret history of Twin Peaks. He died in right. prison. Yeah. His last words. Clean burning. Pain. <laughs> it's a tragic death. A- actually, it was uh, what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was. Yeah, he, yeah, he died. he was the best of us. Uh, if you were a bookhouse boy, yeah, um, but yeah, so um, yeah, Norma's been through all this shit before, so she's looking disapprovingly because she knows how this story is going to end, not well. Yeah, well, Shelley's being a dutiful mother, and mm-hmm. she takes off. So uh, Becky pulls a gun out from under the couch in the trailer, and so yep. Shelley pulls up and. So Becky just storms out, grabs the keys, gun in hand, and and jumps in Shelly's car, starts to take off. <laughs> Shelly Steve McQueen's onto the hood of the car. <laughs> and Shelly, uh, not Shelly, but Becky, then has to like do a quick turn to shake her off. Yeah, it f- it's, throws her from the car. Yeah, it's fucking shoes crazy. Shoes and all, or shoes fly off. Uh-huh. Oh, it's it's crazy, and mm-hmm. and so uh, Becky fucks off because uh, she has business to attend to apparently, mm-hmm. and um, Harry Dean Stanton Carl comes out and is like, "What the fuck just happened here?" <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> and in in one of the greatest like touches of this scene, uh, he's like, Shelley's like, "I I need to get to town." Mm-hmm. And he just pulls out a fife and and blows a single note. And then <laughs> magically, they're in the VW van. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to Carl. Um, so, oh, just, it, he's got like the mystery machine whistle. <laughs> and just blow it. Zoinks! <laughs> Carl needs the van, man. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, so they're sharing a ride back to the double R and uh, Shelly calls Norma for advice uh, of like, should I call the police or what? And Harry Dean Stanton's like, fuck that. I got this and has a CB mm-hmm. in the, in the van, in the mystery machine and just calls uh, the sheriff's department. And, uh, you know, Shelly, they, they have uh, the operator there, whose name I don't remember, get Bobby on the line. Mm-hmm. And Shelly is telling him, like, here's what's going on with our stupid daughter. 
Um, yeah, we get confirmation, full confirmation that this is Bobby's daughter in this episode. I don't think that had been firmly established prior to this, but... Yeah, but it makes perfect sense, and I, I think we knew that, just they hadn't... Yeah, they hadn't been, confirmed it yet. Right. Yeah. Uh, and there's kind of a nice scene later with all of them, but... Um, so, we kind of stick with Becky at this point, who rolls up uh, to uh, an apartment building... Mm-hmm. And starts pounding on the door of probably some slut, and <laughs> oh, sorry, <laughs> you know, you know, it takes two to tango, and Stephen, the whole fits, yeah. And um... I mean, I mean, he's such a dirty. Can I stay with you for a night? Um, <laughs> Scratching himself, right? Just boils appearing on the skin. Um, yeah. So, uh. The neighbor uh, comes out and is like, hey, they, they left. They just left. And so Becky, for good measure, pops a few holes in the door mm-hmm. with uh, her gat. Uh, we call that an American hello, Duncan. Just shooting that's, through the door. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. <laughs> and and then we cut to Stephen and, and Maggie, his, uh, I guess, side piece. Uh, just in the stairwell, she's like, oh, I think she's freaking out. And uh, anyway, so the police station is is popping. They're getting all kinds of calls. Uh, so shit is afoot when it comes to Becky and Stephen and Maggie, uh, characters that everyone comes to Twin Peaks for. Uh, Becky and Stephen <laughs> and Maggie. Um, I kind of like this because there are parallels in a later scene um, with Shelley when it comes to picking wrong men. You would yeah. think she would have learned, um, but yeah. So, so yeah, we, we get through that. Um, Steve is a piece of shit. Who would have known? Who would have known? Well, surprise, surprise. Yep, it was a shock to me. Um, but and yeah, I, I do like. <laughs> I, I don't want to give the impression I don't enjoy these scenes because it's all great. But then, Duncan, we go to Fartsuck, South Dakota. Yes. <laughs> where they have brought Hastings, uh, you know, our good pal Matthew Lillard, speaking of Shaggy, um, yeah. <laughs> to a rundown house where he claims to have seen the major, along with yeah. Ruth Davenport. And uh we see some shadows of some of like a lumber ghost roaming around <laughs> yeah i was like as soon as i saw that i was like oh shit right <laughs> shit's about to pop off and even gordon and albert are like did you see that yeah i saw mm-hmm. that <laughs> did you see that uh and <laughs> and so hastings confirms like you, you they went through the fence and then like you know 15 20 feet in and then shit just went crazy and he doesn't mm-hmm. exactly remember but Gordon and Albert are like, we're going in. And my notes here are, please go to the Black Lodge. Please go to the Black Lodge. Doesn't happen. <laughs> Doesn't happen. It's just what I wanted. It's what the heart wanted, Duncan. Yeah. Um, but there's the sound of electricity everywhere. Mm-hmm. And Gordon's a little he- ahead of Albert. And so he sees this vortex appear over the house that only Gordon sees. Yeah. But Albert sees that something's going on because David Lynch is waving his arms above his head like a crazy person. And there's a great shot where you see, like, 
the police car that they have Hastings in with the detective that escorted him there. And then you have the car that, you know, Gordon and Albert and Tammy and Diane are in. So the shot is behind those cars. So you see the cars, the fence behind them, then Albert and then Gordon standing in the far background, just with his arms up, waving them around. Just to impress the point that like, oh, to everyone else's eyes, he looks like a mad person. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it's a great shot, though. I loved it. And um, he starts to phase shift, which is the bit where like Albert starts to realize that something's going on. Yeah. And so Albert, like in the nick of time, jerks Gordon back before he gets sucked into whatever alternate dimension one of the lodges presumably or maybe nothing mm-hmm. and um and albert says like well i guess we found out and so now they're like everybody's on board like hey there is some blue rose ass blue rose stuff happening yeah and diane is like standing at the back and she starts to see one of these weird lumber men start making his way f- once again, fees shifting um, towards the police car, in particular the back door where Matthew Lillard is sitting, and then Bo. And then his head goes squish. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> get at least something from Pulp Fiction. <laughs> it's, like, it's, yeah, I mean, it's a real, like, <laughs> gotta light kind of situation. Gotta where, gotta light. <laughs> where, yeah, it looks like, it's not the same lumber ghost, but it looks like they did the, like, just hand into the skull yeah, kind of move. Yeah, his it's, his head is scooped out just exactly like our two characters from the the apartment area. You know the the kind of penthouse thing with the box. Yep. Like the top half of that head is gone. It's been scooped out completely. Um, and yeah, uh, the, the the sheriff's bewildered. Everyone's a bit kind of freaked out. No one really knows what's happening. And yeah, like so now now we're now we're in a position where. Like the the crazy stuff is happening specifically to the the Blue Rose squad, whether it was um, a couple episodes a couple episodes ago, where we had Cole opening the door and seeing Laura Palmer's face. Yeah, you know, so so we're starting to get these flashes of like otherworldly stuff starting starting to happen directly to them as part of their investigation into what's going on. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, and uh, David Lynch has a great line here where after seeing the body, he pronounces, he's dead. <laughs> Lynch is amazing in these episodes, oh, by the way. so good, so oh, good. Uh, <laughs> Bordeaux, anyway. Um, so <laughs> they also find a body, Duncan, mm-hmm. uh, of none other than Ruth Davenport. Yeah, headless, obviously, because we'd seen her head earlier on atop the body of the Major, who's also headless. Yes. And, well, but we know what happened to his head. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, I mean, spiritually speaking. Uh, So, uh, they also find that there are coordinates written on her arm. Yes. So, these are the coordinates, I'm sure, that the Major was uh, asking for. Uh, and, and, uh, they will certainly be important as we go through these episodes. So indeed at the double R 
Bobby and Shelly hey, uh, are giving <laughs> Becky a talking to. I'm sitting over here. Hey, I'm lecturing my daughter over here. <laughs> she stepped out of line. Um, so... But but they're like kind of giving her what for, and Becky is like refusing to take any more of Shelley's money. Well, Bob- we get we get more information here that it's not just that those two like it, it wasn't implicitly like stated earlier on, but they're married. Becky is married to Stephen. It's not just that yeah. you know they're like boyfriend and girlfriend or you know one of these like these couples that shouldn't exist. It's a dangerous couple and all the rest. But you know secretly, no, they are they are married. Yeah, that's it's, it's Shelly and Leo. Theirs. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's Shelly and Leo all over again, but taken to like a more modern, a kind of more uh, harsh situation. Because like Leo wasn't a junkie. At least Stephen is a junkie, and Leo had a job and could at least afford to put a roof over the head of Shelly. Not that I'm defending Leo at all. Uh, but he could do all that, and this is the you know it's once again it's the it's the the women they're having to take the brunt of all the shit while the men are you know at, on some level um, they they walk around without there, there's no justice at all in these relationships for for the women, um, and she is she is loose she's like I'm leaving them I've had enough. Uh, we, we get this really interesting information that Bobby says, you know, this guy's been out of line loads, but because you're my daughter, you know, I have looked the other way on what he's doing, but that is not going to happen anymore. You know, if he steps out of line at all, he's in prison. I'll arrest him. Um, and, you know, Becky's not like, she's like that. I still love him, but, you know, I've, I've had enough. And all this time I thought he was going out looking for jobs, but now I don't know. Maybe he's been going off to see his mistress. And Bobby finally steps up with the money. Bobby's like, I'll give you the money, but you need to pay me back. Um, and you get this impression that maybe Bobby's not been the greatest dad here because the surprise look that comes from Shelley when he offers the money is if to say, well, this, you've never done that before. Um, and, hey, and Bobby- I'm thrifty over here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a loan. I made it clear it was a loan. The juice <laughs> is running. <laughs> the video, like, that's right. <laughs> Don't make don't make me send over three fingers. Collect the mic. Shelly, I'm gonna give you ten thousand dollars and you're good for the big. <laughs> but uh so yeah, so so Bobby's kinda trying to help out here. And then Shelly sees someone in the window. And I thought to myself, wait one second, I know this guy. How do I know this guy, Bo? How do I know this guy? Well, you might remember him from the very first episode, Making Eyes at Shelley at the mm-hmm. Roadhouse. Yes. But maybe more clearly as the weirdo, potentially Black Lodge-related drug dealer <laughs> with the magic coins and, yes. uh, you know, same man. Uh, he's our, uh, our, our... Younger Frank Booth is what I was calling him. Yeah. So Red, a.k.a. Balthazar Getty, mm-hmm. uh, is peering through the window. And uh, and Shelly like lights up as soon as uh, she sees him and yeah. runs out to meet him. And I feel so bad for Bobby. You're like, hey, yeah, Bobby's uh, looking out there. But what I love about this is Shelly is just finished lecturing, just finished lecturing Becky on her poor, you know, husband choice 
Uh, and Bobby, obviously, having lived through being that poor boyfriend choice, um, you know, has grown into a respectable member of the community. Um, and I don't know if he knows who Red is. I don't know if he he's aware of you know that the, the things that this guy is into. But Shelley literally finishes her sentence and then runs out to meet this drug peddler um, who she is clearly besotted with. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what, Shelley has not changed at all as a character. She's not changed. She's still Shelley. You know, I mean, other characters have maybe wore a bit of that on them. But even the way she runs out is very much like Shelley would have from, you know, season one of Twin Peaks. It's this kind of almost kind of high school-esque kind of very teenage crush sort of, you know, like there's a skip in her step, there's a giggle, she runs outside, they run around the corner. Um, not like how adults tend to 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 interact in relationships. Uh, she's kind of devolved to that, which I thought was, once again, was a really interesting thing that, you know, some people are doomed to repeat their mistakes over and over again. And I kind of feel like that Shelley. You know, Shelley is doomed on some level to always end up with people that are maybe not good for her. And ironically, the one that probably did turn out to be good for her, Bobby, is the one that she's not with anymore. Yeah, and one wonders if their marriage didn't begin to crumble when he started to turn his shit around. Yeah, you get that feeling that she's maybe attracted to, to, to or maybe subconsciously attracted to bad men. Yeah, yeah, that she doesn't want a good upstanding member of society. Hey, um, <laughs> she, yeah, she, she wants somebody that's a little dangerous and whatnot. And, yeah. uh, so, um, red and Shelly kind of make plans to meet later. And then a, a shot comes through the window. Yep. And, uh, Bobby, it leaps into action. Hey, uh, <laughs> and fine. That what happens is, there's a minivan outside that that's now clogging up traffic uh, because the father loaded uh, or left a loaded gun in the van. The mother put in the back seat. The kid in the back seat started fucking around with the gun and fired it, and the bullet mm-hmm. went into the diner. Yeah. The kid, by the way, is giving Bobby a real stink eye. Yeah, he's a little shit. Yeah, seems to be. Also yeah. in the mix, uh, Deputy Jesse shows up, who seems like a little slow. Um, <laughs> he's kind of he's kind of like a modern Andy. Yeah, yeah. You you feel like he came up under Andy for sure. <laughs> uh, he was Andy's trainee. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine training day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with Andy and him. <laughs> King Kong ain't got nothing on me. Um, <laughs> that training day, you mean? Yeah, <laughs> you imagine Trinity Day with them in it. Completely different movie. Completely you ever do movie. PCP? <laughs> I've never done it. You have. I would love to see someone asking Andy if he, uh, well, what's the other guy's name, sorry? Uh, Deputy Jesse. Yeah, I would love to see a, a scene where a couple of cholos ask Jesse if he's ever had his shit pushed in. Um. <laughs> Answer him. Have you had your shit pushed in? <laughs> 
I know for a fact Dan Wilson is memeing that like fuck right now. So it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, yeah. Right. Can we just like take a, a quick second here to say that there is a woman peeping her horn noisily behind, which was starting to irritate me. So how Bobby managed to keep his cool, but we get this really weird scene which culminates in once again one of these Lynchian scenes of pure fucking horror, like the sick child. Like I was. I was uncomfortable watching that. Uh, there was something weirdly Ring-esque about <laughs> a scene. Because um, he goes across and opens the window, and this woman is just, we have to go and get the gun. The uncle's coming to see us, and we need to go. And there's traffic in the middle of the way. And the middle of the bed. And that's what yeah, she can, almost word for word. Yeah, like literally, and she's like that, you know, and she's sick, and she's not well, and then we pan round, and crawling from the well of the like literally from the well like ring um crawling from like the foot well of the the front seat this figure starts to appear and as a child who i don't know what's wrong with them all i know is like kind of bile starts pouring out of their mouth as they look palely towards bobby and then start to lean forward like vomiting on the the, the woman driving and just this horrendous one shot of terror um, that only David Lynch can do. It doesn't mean anything. Doesn't culminate in anything. It just leaves you unsettled, um, like only the great man can. It's a it's a weird scene. It, it is, and I almost read that as, oh, is this another? Is someone else uh, having an ill effect to the drugs floating around oh, in Twin Peaks now? Maybe I never thought of that. That's what we do here on the show, Duncan. We educate. Sometimes each other. <laughs> or speculate. I think spe- speculate's more out uh, there. Uh, no, I'm sticking to it. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> Time will out, Duncan. Time uh, will out. <laughs> it will prove me right. If if what's in the box is what I think is in... Anyway. Um, what's so, in the box? We'll get there. Just wait. So... Once again, that's the scene that we want to see. We want to see... <laughs> want to see Seven, but with Doggy in it. <laughs> But what's in the box? What's in the box? Okay. <laughs> John Doe's got the upper hand. Uh, <laughs> put the box down. Don't open that box, Dougie. What's in the box? Put the gun down, Dougie. There. <laughs> I love Jim Belushi's Freeman. Morgan Freeman in this scenario. Is that what we're saying? I, I think so, yeah. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. Um, <laughs> speaking oh, of Sheriff Truman and Hawk. <laughs> so they're trying to figure out where it is they're going into the woods. Like they're like, mm. we, we've got to go. There's just too much weird shit happening. We know we have to go. Hawk yeah. has his own map though. <laughs> it's a bitching, bitching, old school Kind of almost crane drawn map. It was quite, it's, <laughs> it didn't look like an old Indian map at all. It's budget fantastic. The budget constraints on this particular map must have been a bit low. I, I think probably Hawk made it himself. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, he says that all right, there's the place they're going has this kind of uh, fire symbol, but he explains it's not fire per se it's 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 more like Energy. electricity 
Yeah, it's more like energy. It's like their symbol for energy, which we would now call electricity, but back then it would have been called fire. Yeah. And uh, and Hawk says, sometimes it walks with me, sometimes it walks with you. That's right, fire walk with me. You get it? You get it? All of us. Uh, But (sighs) there's a symbol uh, that they saw on the note as well. Mm -hmm. And and Twin Peaks. Yeah, and Frank's well, not just the the mountains, but the little the little circle with the antennae or whatever. Yeah, the the owl. Yeah, the owl. Yeah. Uh, owl. Um, <laughs> we've got to go find the owls. Um, so <laughs> I like you, owl. That's why I kill you last. Um, <laughs> I lied. <laughs> I lied, owl. Um, <laughs> Oh, this this is great. This is like we're joking around here, but what comes up is like literally had me like wetting myself, like the laughter, um, because like they mentioned, like they mentioned the, the Twin Peaks, the, the weird symbol, and then um, they, they specifically talk about the Black Fire, and yeah. he says the black the Black Fire is a combination of these two events, which which results in a bad thing, which is this black Black Fire, the 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 area of what looks like reeds. And and the fire culminating to, to create this, and then like Sheriff Truman just innocently asked Bo what that L symbol means, like you know, what does that symbol mean? And then things get like fucking deathly quiet, very like, tense, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> super tense. And then Hawk delivers the greatest line ever. What does Hawk say, Bo? It's uh, I oh I didn't make the the uh, exact line in my notes, but I think it was uh, you don't want to know anything about that, <laughs> and. Frank's like, "What? Really?" And and Hawk is just like, "Yeah." Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just fucking brilliant. It's actually brilliant. Oh dear. It's yeah, so, and, so, and like so Frank doesn't press after that. He's just like, "All right, Hawk knows yeah, best, man." I mean, if he tells me I don't need to know, I don't need to know. But the phone goes. The phone goes, and and our, our lovely Lucy transfers the phone, and the way Lucy's been transferring the phone since phones were invented, which is, I'm going to transfer a call through to you. It's a light on the phone. <laughs> You're like, oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah. Every and, single thing. Uh, and my personal favorite, uh, as always, is any conversation between uh, Margaret, the log lady, and yeah. Hog. Yeah. And and sure enough, it's the log lady, and she says, "You know, Hawk, uh, you found something." And uh, Hawk's like, "Yeah, I did. I can't tell you what that is, Margaret, because you're not a cop. You're just a crazy person." But <laughs> he I love you. See that? He does not. Doesn't see that. It's implied. And <laughs> so she says, "Her log is afraid of fire, mm-hmm. and there's fire where they're going." Mm-hmm. And then Deputy Jesse interrupts to see if uh, Frank wants to see his new car. Yeah. Uh, but it, Pass it, a piece, Jesse. Pass a piece. Jesse. Jesse. <laughs> Pass the piece. <laughs> that, you know, that entertains only us, and that's fine. That's like, yeah, I, 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 I did... <laughs> I said past the fees of a work class week and no one got it. <laughs> well, I could kind, of, kind of made me laugh. And I wasn't even, I was asking for someone to pass me over the sugar. Um, while we were all making teas and coffees and stuff like that. And I was like, I was like oh, oh, you just passed the piece. Just, and then we're like, what? And I was like, the, the sugar, just pass the sugar. <laughs> pass the sugar. Donna. <laughs> Donna. Uh, 
<laughs> so, uh, so Frank is like, look, we'll look at your car tomorrow. Um, and then we uh, cut over to Diane, Gordon, and Albert, mm-hmm. uh, who are looking at the picture that has been taken of the coordinates on Ruth Davenport's arm. Uh, coffee and donuts arrive. A lawman's dream. Uh, and <laughs> Diane um, gets the smoke, which is important. Right. Uh, she has a great line. She's like, um, you know, a cigarette would taste real good with this coffee. Yeah. And he's like, oh, just smoke them if you got them. <laughs> smoke them, smoke them, smoke them if you got them, Duncan. Mm-hmm. If you ain't yep. got them, you've hit rock bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> they have made... I would have put money on the fact that there would not be a Bloodhound Gang reference in this show, but I would have been a no, I, I think what I've realized the longer the show goes on is that we can almost reference anything. Yeah, David I, Lynch, yeah. after all. Sure, sure. And, oh man, things are gonna get good. Uh, so posit- <laughs> they, they positively ID Ruth Davenport, for sure. That's her body. Mm-hmm. And then Gordon talks about uh, the the bearded men that he saw a vision of. Uh, when he was looking at the vortex, like uh, three of the lumber ghosts just sitting around in a room. And so, again, it's just this furthering of, hey, we are dealing with something that is beyond normal investigations. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's mostly fun just to see Diane demand a smoke. Um, so then we uh, head over to the Lucky 7 Insurance in Las Vegas, where Terry is... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is uh called into Mullen's office and the, like Phil the assistant has to like lure him in <laughs> with the paid paper yeah with coffee <laughs> but, yeah with uh, just a tray of coffee and and lures him into the office and then finally hands him the coffee and starts down in it and then we see Sizemore Tom Sizemore roll by for a second as well <laughs> yeah. and just be like what's going on in here the fuck yeah. is it? like he's starting to come apart a little bit yeah uh he, like he doesn't have any dialogue in this scene it's just like yeah he's he's here and knows that dougie and mullins are talking and uh mullins is laying it all out like dougie um uncovered uh this ring this conspiracy of fraud uh within the company and uh mullins believes that there's someone outside the company that's that's organizing this that's steering it and uh because barry is just a completely blank slate that mullins is projecting (laughs) you know uh Mm -hmm. competence upon essentially and is like hey look you need to meet with some guys uh today at 5 30 and also, here is the insurance check uh, that we're going to pay to the Mitchums, uh, which are you know Rodney and Bradley Mitchum, the the gangsters that were originally denied. That Tom Sizemore went to him and said, you know, is Thurgy that org- that orchestrated this? And uh, but instead, Mullins is like, no, 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 that was all fucked up. Here's their check. Also, I took out an insurance policy against this. So that we're actually getting not only the thirty million we're about to pay out back, but even more. Yeah. So you're a goddamn hero, Dergy. <coughs> Everyone loves Dergy. Every well, oh, <laughs> there are some folks who are going to truly love some, them some Dergy pretty soon. Dergy. Um. So he's like, you're gonna go deliver this check to the Mitchums yourself, and then we cut to the Mitchums. <laughs> 
where I love the Mitchells. I like the uh oh, two characters. You just can't help but love. Well, all right. <laughs> so totally loved. Rodney's eating cereal. Rodney, mm-hmm. Bradley is Jim Belushi. Rodney is the other guy. Um, and Rodney's eating some cereal while Candy serves. Also, still in her like pink homecoming queen outfit while mm-hmm. he's in like pajamas uh at about two o'clock which is pretty great and uh bradley comes in uh jim belushi and he's like uh pours himself a bowl of raisin bran and then it's like you know i had this dream about killing uh dougie jones and i can't i i can't concentrate on anything else i gotta kill this guy yeah, he's exactly one of the greatest lines ever. His exact words are, "I hate him so bad." This <laughs> Belushi's face. Yeah. Just, I hate this guy so bad. And, and yeah, and so they're like, "Well," and Rodney's trying to talk him down a little bit. And he's like, "Look, we're meeting this guy at five thirty. We're going to kill him. Then you only got to hang on for three hours. Then you can kill the fuck out of this guy." Mm-hmm. And he's just like, "Ugh," but I can't. Uh, and he he's like, I can't even eat. I can't even have this raisin bran, delicious bowl of raisin bran right now. I'm just too consumed with, with the fires of bloodlust <laughs> to kill Doug Jones. It's mm. a really good scene. It's very funny. Um, So uh, Dougie then uh, is being led out of Lucky Seven by Mullins, who's putting him in the car to go meet the Mitchums. Yes. And... Uh, he's Dergie looks over and sees Mike and in a back, black lodge background waving at him, like uh, yes. calling him over. And so Dergie, uh, just veers off and, uh, Mullins is like, the fuck are you doing Dougie? And then, but Dergie's just heading for a shop. And when next we see him, he's got a big box. We don't know. Yeah. What's, we don't know what's in the box. He's what's just, in the box? What's <laughs> in the box? Uh, Doug Jones has the upper hand. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so Mullins has to like pat him down and be like, "All right, Thurgy, do you have the the check?" And it's like in his uh, inner coat pocket mm-hmm. and this box. And they get him into the limousine, which is ironically being driven by the guy who took him home uh, mm-hmm. when he was Mr. Jackpots. And uh, there's a pretty good cover of Viva Las Vegas plan as they <laughs> as they roll through Las Vegas. Because re- the idea was they were going to go to some restaurant to meet yeah. the Mitchums. But that ain't where the driver's taking Durkey. No, he's taking them off-road to the place that... Um... Joe Pesci dies in casino. Yeah, that middle of the desert, out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and 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 then we see Rodney and Bradley Mitchum in the back of their limo, and Bradley's like, "Look, I got to tell you about this dream." Yeah, because Moore's coming back to him now about yeah. the the dream. He can he's starting to remember things about the dream. Yeah, and he, and he says, "In my dream, your candy cut is the way he puts it. Your candy cut was completely healed." Which is, uh, he, uh, uh, Rodney has a Band-Aid on his left cheek from <laughs> yeah. where Candy smacked him with a remote control while she was killing, trying to kill the bug. Try to kill a fly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, Bradley takes the, the Band-Aid off of Rodney, and sure enough, it's healed. Mm-hmm. And Bradley says, look, 
I know this is going to sound weird, but if he shows up with a box, like, or, or no, 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 he doesn't even go no, that far. Like, oh, yeah, he's just like, some things are coming back, I can't remember. And then, uh, Thurgy shows up and, <laughs> is, and is literally just pulled out of the limo. He doesn't know yeah. nothing from nothing. So the driver has to get him out. And, um, Bradley says at this point, the box is in my dream too. And if there is a certain specific thing in that box, they can't kill Thurgy. Yeah. <laughs> and he grabs his brother and he's like, I need you with me on this. Mm-hmm. You can't kill him. If there's this one thing in the box, very specific thing. But if it's that we can't kill him. And his brother's finally like, fine, fine. We won't kill him. Real 180 on uh, on Bradley here. From mm-hmm. bloodlust to we cannot kill him if it's this thing. And so, uh, finally, Bradley checks the box. What's in the box? <laughs> Is, Duncan, a cherry pie. Uh, yeah. A, a rather delicious looking cherry pie. Yeah. And... Which is exactly what Bradley told his brother was in the dream. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rodney says, well, pat him down anyway. And as he's doing that, he comes across the check in his, you know, coat pocket, in Dougie's coat pocket. So not only has he brought them a delicious cherry pie, Duncan. <laughs> he also has brought my check for three, $30 million. $30 million. And they are ecstatic. They're yeah, just a little happy, boy. Just a little happy. And now they're like, "We love this guy." <laughs> it's literally, it's literally, you know, he's went from "I hate him so bad" to this, "You motherfucker, you this guy, this guy, this guy right here." So now they're really going to take him to dinner instead of just kill him in the desert. Yep. And so they take him to a restaurant, and they're they're toasting him, and of course they got to put the champagne in his hand, and Dougie don't know nothing. Silo that and the surprisingly, and this is really one of those nice like lynch moments of like this is a total lynch moment. Like a character we never needed to see ever again get we get an opportunity to see what happened to that character. Yes, and and it's amazing. So the old bird haired lady from when Thurgy was Mr. Jackpots, the lady who was like, which one? Which, yes. he, which is going to pay off? And uh, and Thurgy, of, co- of course, pointed her to a couple of these jackpots. And she is dressed like she's uh, one of the finer passengers on the Titanic. Yep, the Queen of Sheba. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> she has completely turned her shit around. She's like, you know what? Here, this is my grandson. He's back in my life now. You've given me a second chance, and and kisses his cheek, and is like, "You are such a good man for for doing this." I just I I just wanted to say thank you again, and there there he is, just like, "Thank you again," and she's like, "Oh," and then they kind of fuck off, and the the Mitchums are like. Son of a bitch, Dougie. Yeah. (laughs) You know what? Let's have some pie. And so Candy serves them cherry pie. Eventually serves some cherry pie. Right. There's there's a moment where they're asking her where she was. And she says, I was in traffic on the strip 
there were so many cars. And that's kind of it. And you're like, all right, Candy. Uh, traffic is amazing, I suppose. How about you get us some pie? And so she finally does. And um, I think it's Rodney when he's eating and he goes, man, this pie, this is damn good. Yeah. I was like, oh, yes. And it's, it, okay. <laughs> it, it's so tantalizingly close, but it's just Thurgate saying, damn good. Yeah. And then he eats some more pie and you're like, oh, oh, Twin Peaks. <laughs> you just pass the piece. David Lynch. Pass the piece. Um, Trapeze? <laughs> circuses are cruel. Uh, oh, dear. It's never good to laugh at your own jokes. There, uh, there is some quality, like, Lynch misunderstanding stuff in our next episode. Which, oh, yeah. Which we will get to in a moment. This, uh, this episode does end... Uh, with the piano player in the restaurant and, and Thurgy just kind of staring at him. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, I feel like we're we're setting up so much in this episode. And and it moves at a, a, a real clip, this one does. Yeah, it flew in. A lot of, lot of message, uh, or a lot of information uh, being messaged to the viewer. And, um, it man, it was, it, like, the the sense of momentum that this show is picking up as mm-hmm. we go towards the end, like it feels like, man, there's a lot of shit happening every episode. Yeah, and because we in this one, uh, we got like a true acknowledgement that there's Black Lodge stuff happening to Gordon directly. I mean, not just the image of Laura Palmer, but like, hey, he almost got sucked into the lodge or something. Mm-hmm. And Diane's continuing to be awesome. Truman and Hawk are getting ready to to light off for the territories and go towards the Black Lodge. And, you know, as we'll get to in, uh, in the next episode, like, it feels like all these things are starting to converge. Yeah. Uh, except for um, Shelley and uh, Steven and that whole thing. Like, I, ju- I-, I want to see where that goes. I don't exactly know how to predict that just yet. I don't know how much <laughs> I, I don't know how much the show cares about them in terms of resolving that story. Yeah, you know that's I mean? the, well, that's the thing you have. To, that's the gamble you pay between peaks is that it will tie up some things. But David Lynch does very much feel at times like he gets halfway into someone's story arc and then finds that there's a more interesting story arc happening over there. So we'll just kind of spend more time doing that, and we might get back to it. But if we don't, uh, is there any great loss? I'm <laughs> right. cool with that. I'm cool with that. Yeah, I'm happy to follow Lynch. Like I will follow Lynch wherever he takes me through Twin Peaks, and if it means at the end of it everything's tied up in a nice neat bow, I would be very surprised. If it means that quite a few characters have a whole hell of a lot of uh, story plots which are unresolved, I can live with that as well. All right. Uh, any any final thoughts on episode eleven before we? Uh, hurdle headlong into episode 12. Just that, that very much just echoing what you say, it, it moves at a tear. It very much does feel like a, a, one of the more action packed Twin Peaks episodes from maybe even of old, you know, what I mean, where we were just getting a lot of information, but it wasn't, it didn't feel like it was being spoon fed. It just organically, the, all the stories are kind of flowing along 
really well just now. And it is starting to pick up pace because that was episode 11, which means we only have seven episodes left, which brings us to episode number 12. All right. Uh, we will take a brief break here and uh, play uh, an ad for a podcast that you should probably listen to. Uh, if you don't, then we hurt puppies. It's just how it goes. <laughs> you know the deal. Uh, but uh, listen to this ad. We'll be right back with episode 12 of Twin Peaks, colon, The Returnsies, episode 12. Are you sick of the same old stale podcast? Well, then join Vanessa and David as they dissect movies of all kinds. The two lifelong cinema lovers bring their favorites, curiosities, and first-time watches to the operating table and inject them with a healthy dose of snark. Then there's the waiting room, where they examine books and short stories. So just look for them on iTunes, and where fine podcasts are available. They're part of the Legion Podcast Network. Follow them on Twitter at VDClinicPod or email them at VDClinicPod at gmail.com. They're ready to cure what ails you. And still, they just might be contagious. Get information or a pamphlet at most pharmacies or a health clinic. If you need help, see a doctor. Duncan, episode 12 of uh, Twin Peaks season 3 begins with Gordon, Albert, and Tammy all toasting the Bureau, echoing, you know, if you kind of keep in mind, hey, this was all written as one big movie originally. Mm -hmm. These were kind of mirror scenes yes. of the, the last scene of the last episode, the first episode, or first scene of this episode. And they're toasting the Bureau, and then Albert lays down some blue book shit and fills her in on a lot of stuff that we know from secret history of twin peaks. Yeah. Where he's talking about how, uh, project blue book was shut down, but there were still these cases. And that's when the blue rose, uh, investigation squad was assembled. Philip Jeffries had been put in charge of that. Uh, agent Cooper, uh, Chet from Firewalk with me and Albert were recruited, and obviously two of those uh, or three of those people uh, have gone missing, or mm -hmm. or or in some way not right, uh, as they believe with Cooper, and so they invite Tammy to be the next Blue Rose member, which would be the coolest thing to ever happen to you in your life. Oh, God, yeah. I, I was so jealous of her. It was unbelievable. And, yeah, she, of course, accepts. And uh, so then they're like, you know, okay, Diane's coming in, too. And she enters through, like, red velvet curtains, by the way. Mm-hmm. Which is real Black Lodge. Mm-hmm. And then they deputize her, which is awesome, because now she's Deputy Diane. Mm -hmm. And then she, uh, they say, like, well, we can't give you any a, a lot of money for this, but you'll get the satisfaction of knowing what happened to Cooper. Do you do you accept the deputization? And she says, let's rock. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> kind of love it. I mean, it's amazing. Also, 
raises uh, questions about Diane for sure, because we are seeing a lot of Black Lodge imagery around her. Oh yeah, 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 totally. And I'm already suspicious of her texting activity, Bo. We will get to that, Duncan. Just shut your mouth. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's really like hearing Diane say "Let's Rock" is awesome, but it's also like, oh my god, is she is she somehow you know p- possessed or under the influence of the spirit of Mike's arm or something? You know. Um. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so then we cut she to. She might scene. not even be Diane, Bo. Uh, perhaps she could be a clone, a doppel Diane, doppel Diane. Oh, Duncan. Hashtag doppel Diane. Hashtag doppel Diane. Um, so then we cut to a scene of Jerry running like a madman through the woods. <laughs> Jerry Horn. These still scenes lost. just. These scenes just. I don't have a fucking clue what David Lynch is doing. This is obviously like that that danger that some things don't get resolved, and then at times things that we. <laughs> This better be the greatest payoff in history for the Jerry story, honestly. I, like these like three three second clips still the rest of life. Well, what is going on here, really? Right. He he's lost, his foot's talking to him. Uh he's running like he it reminded me of that scene from the Chevy Chase movie Funny Farm, where they see the dog, uh the dog uh runs away. And then just after months, they see it run through the yard again as if it's, you know, circumnavigated the globe. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what I think of with Jerry, that he just runs and runs. Uh, although in his uh, condition and at his age, probably not wise. Um, <laughs> we have literally talked about that scene more than the runtime of the scene itself, uh, which is like five seconds of just. Ah! Yeah, it's great. Uh, speaking of great, let's uh, check in with Sarah Palmer. He was doing well, Duncan. Um, she is shopping for a dinner of Bloody Marys. I, I'm just going to say, like, has there ever been a more tragic Twin Peaks character? Honestly, I, I seen like the scene kicked me in the gonads. It's yeah, it, it is a real heartbreaker of a scene because so Sarah Palmer is getting uh you know about four bottles of vodka to go with her Bloody Mary mix, um. Gets a carton of Salem's. I respect both of these decisions. <laughs> and then starts getting weird about the fact that they put up a jerky display behind the counter of this liquor store. Mm-hmm. And then she starts saying that men are coming. And they have to be on the lookout. And then she just starts like screaming, something happened to me. And, oh, it is, it really is heartbreaking. It's just like, man, this woman's life has been shattered. Yeah. And, and, and it doesn't seem like the the horror is over yet. No. Um, She's, because we know, well, we, we hypothesized that she may have had, well, she did have the, she could see Bob. Um, in that first season. So she had some sort of link, some sort of ability to see Black Sh- Black, Black Lodge shit go down, right? And she's had basically her family obliterated and she's still stuck in Twin Peaks, not only living with the fact that her daughter died, but her husband, who was molesting her daughter, also died um, after killing her. 
she's she's still there as like this weird conduit to to, to weird things that she can't interpret. Um, still in the same fucking house as well. Yeah, uh, just... I, I think the whole deal with the jerky is this idea of like things have been the same for her for so yeah. long that anything that is not the same it freaks her out. It just she can't she she is stuck in this place yeah. of of misery and and like the nightmarish horror of of like you said not just the death of her child and and her husband uh, who was a murderous a <laughs> you know a pedophilic murderer. Uh, but also, yeah, that she is haunted by these ghosts that she couldn't possibly understand. Do, do we think these are woodsmen? I talk about these men that keep visiting. I that's certainly what I leapt to first. Like she, yeah. she can see them the same way that like Diane and Gordon and and uh, Albert could see the the bearded man um, around the vortex. Yeah, that you know, the closer you are to it, it's just she's a live wire when it comes to BLS, uh, Black Lodge shit for the uninitiated. Um, yeah, it's a great scene. Uh, Grace Zabriskie, who plays Sarah Palmer, is amazing in it. It's phenomenal, and we'll get back to her in just a second. They're like there, there are a couple of little snippets we're gonna hit, and then we're gonna come right back. So uh, we cut to the fat trout. Uh, trailer park where we have another amazing scene with harry dean stanton as carl Mm -hmm. where he sees a dude like this scene don't mean nothing in terms of the the greater picture of twin peaks it's just a great scene (laughs) yeah yeah where uh carl sees uh I, i think his name is crystal uh who's this old dude with a cane like walking toward the road and and carl uh is like crystal you going to sell blood again and the guy's like yep and he's like hey man all right did you mow all the lawns around the trailer park Uh uh-huh and you did that for free Uh uh-huh and like names a couple of other things that he's done and he's like look here's some money for the work you've done also you don't have to pay rent next month And the next time you're going to go selling your blood for food, you come to me first. Yeah. And and he's like, look, selling, uh, like giving blood's good. People need that. But you've given your share. No more blood. All right. (laughs) And it's just a really nice moment of like, man, Carl is such a good guy. Yeah. Uh, You know, helping out Shelly. He's helping this guy out. You know, he got to see the the boy drift into the White Lodge, assumedly. Can can summon a van with a flip? Yeah. Like, Carl is maybe magic. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe has a little White Lodge in him. That's sure what it feels like. Like, he is the the anti-red. Yeah. In a way. And, uh, yeah, I, I just, I love all these things. Again, all the mocking of Harry Dean Stan I, I've done aside. I love him so much in this. Uh, and this character of Carl is getting a lot of screen time. And I, I approve. I like it. Mm. Uh, all right. So we leave that scene for another quick snippet where Thurgy is playing catch <laughs> with Sonny Jim, kinda. Uh, where Sonny Jim 
just throws a baseball at Dergy, uh, who stands there like a dope and lets the baseball just bounce off of him. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's a whole shot. It's them just proving once again that Dergy is not equipped to be a father. Um, <laughs> he should be hospitalized somewhere. Again, I don't think the doctor asked enough questions in the mm-hmm. last episode. Uh, but what are you going to do? Yeah, so, everything's everything's turning up Dougie, though. Honestly, everything yeah. he touches, he's got the Midas touch. So what's that dog going to do? Well, I'm it's... concerned about you, you know, like like uncovering this massive corruption in your own work, you know, uh, winning all this money, which is bailing out your family, taking down Ike the Spike. I'm concerned, for, you know what I mean? It's like, yes, he from a superficial level, he's, he's a fucking moron. But, like, everything he seems to be doing right now is turning up Trump, so. I guess so. I guess so. Um, it's just, it, it's hard for me to reconcile. <laughs> it's his, hard for everyone, Bo. His success with, <laughs> I don't know, Trump's president. Don't. You know, I haven't thought of that all day today. Thanks. Lies. Thanks. Lies you think about every time I open my all right, so let's get back to Sarah Palmer, because hmm. Hawk shows up. Ka-ka! And he's like, hey, Sarah. Uh... Oh, there's also a very telling shot of a ceiling fan. Yeah, so this is this whole scene is amazing, because not only do you get a shot of the ceiling fan, but you also get a little Laura Palmer theme playing. Yep. Uh, it's real good. Uh, so Hawk shows up, and Sarah answers the door. Looking like she's maybe dipped into some vodka somewhere along the way. And uh, Hawk is like, hey, I heard about what happened at, at the store. Are you okay? And you know, he's like, well, like, you're not in trouble. We're just concerned. Do you need anything? And then you hear uh, like something crash. And Hawk says, is there somebody in there with you? And she says, no, just something in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Which I... That can't be good, Duncan. <laughs> Whatever's in the kitchen is not a good thing. What's in the kitchen? What's in the kitchen? <laughs> Deputy Hawk has the upper hand. Um, but Hawk is trying to tell her. Like, it doesn't matter what you need help with. Whatever whatever it is, j- come talk to me. But Because I don't think he can explicitly say, like, hey, are you, is there some black lot shit happening in your house? <laughs> but you feel like, oh, she is so close to having someone who might be able to help her. Yeah. But she just shuts the door on him. It's, it's kind of sad. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Poor hog. Um... I, like ev- everything is so depressing <laughs> in, in these two episodes, except for Thurgy, who is just derping his way through life. Yeah. Um, uh, there's another quick shot of Miriam in the hospital to remind us, hey, she's there and is uh, being cared for now. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to Deputy Diane in uh, the hotel bar, and she's having a martini. Why not? Of course. And she gets a text from the unknown texter that is just Las Vegas question mark. Yep. And her reply is, they haven't asked yet. Yep. 
She's now <laughs> she's now double agent doppel Diane. Uh, double agent deputy doppel Diane. <laughs> the alliteration is on point in it's, this episode. It feels good. I like saying it. Um <laughs> So we leave Diane, uh, Doppel Diane, Deputy Doppel Diane, um, Double Agent, <laughs> Deputy Doppel Diane, um, to go to uh, the Great Northern, where Frank, uh, Frank Truman, is visiting Ben Horn in his office. Mm-hmm. And Frank has some bad news, Duncan. Yeah, it's but well, when Frank shows up. It's never going to be great news. He's not, he's not the bearer of great news in Twin Peaks thus far. Every time he's spoken to someone, it's generally to give bad news. Um, and this is no exception. This is no exception. This is him arriving to tell Ben that that little kid that was mowed over and died and that hit and run, well, that was your grandson Richard that did that. And he then showed up to Miriam's house, who is, by the way, uh, a nursery teacher. Um, and then he beat the shit out of her, tried to kill her, she was the only witness, but she's now in hospital getting treatment, which, by the way, she might not be able to afford. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, and Ben's like, oh, of course, of course, you know. And uh, implying, uh, and then confirming later on that he will actually pay for that treatment. Yeah, and I, then, I, a nice little dig by Lynch at our poor healthcare in this country. I think there's a couple of little digs in here about a few things. Um, but you get the you get Ben basically saying that, you know, Richard's always been a bad apple. In fact, like, to the best of his knowledge, every time um, Frank's brother uh, got involved with, you know, trying to help Richard or caught him doing something wrong, each time there was an escalation on how bad the criminality was. And we kind of continue on with, with, uh, you know, Frank saying, well, if he gets in touch, he's like, well, no, he'll never get in touch with me. He cut me off, stopped talking to me when I refused to give him any more money, uh, which is probably why I showed up at grandma's house and beat the shit out of her. Um, so, which, oh, that scene, by the way, still, oh, yeah. um, oh my God, Lynch, what are you doing to me? Uh, and then, just casually in conversation, he's like, you know, so you're still talking to your brother? I wonder if he'd maybe like this. And he lifts the key, the key that puts her face that gives two rides, um, posted. <laughs> Jade. Jade that gives Jade, two rides. Jade gives two rides. Oh, the greatest thing ever. Um, she posted back to um, the the Great Northern, and we have obviously, in a previous conversation, Ben said, well, that's Agent Cooper's old room. And we find that the keys have changed in the interim, and he wants to pass this on to Harry because he thinks it would be a good kind of keepsake, a good reminder of maybe better times, question mark. Um, And he's like, do you think you'd be interested that this was Cooper's room? And of course, Frank's eyes light up and he's like, interestingly, you should say that because we've just started looking into an old case which happened around the time of of Cooper's Cooper's involvement. So yeah, I will pass this on. Um, And, you know, Frank obviously makes his way out and then Woman, woman who we're not entirely sure of her motivation here. Still don't know what she's doing. I don't know if we're ever going to find out what she's doing. She appears back in. She's played by uh, what's her face, Ashley Judd. Yep, yep. Hey, she, Beverly. She, come, 
yeah, she comes back and still not entirely sure what the motivation of this character is. And obviously Ben says, you know, it was my grandson that was behind, you know, uh, the 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 running down of this kid. And if possible, you know, get on the phone just now. Phone over here and uh, we need to pay for uh, for Miriam's. And he's like, I don't even know what her second name is. You just say Miriam. Um, we, we need to pay for her, her medical fees. So a very somber scene. Once again, Ben not having the greatest life. Well, and he tells a story as well that that's mm-hmm. worth at least noting. Oh which, yeah, that story's really good. The one about the bike. Yeah, where he says, you know, I remember my dad giving me this bike that was this two tone green. It was like a lime green, forest green, and he got a special seat for it. And it was it was awful to ride, but I loved that bike. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, and then he has, you know, some more conversation with Beverly and the scene ends on the note of him again, musing over this thing. And, and he says, the bike my father gave to me. And, and there's a hint of whoever the father is of Richard, uh, cause we still don't know yet. Yeah. Um, that the, the father was either not there or, uh, is a mystery potentially i certainly i mean we'll get into it in a minute duncan but certainly (laughs) not the man that a certain character may or may not be with at the moment yeah uh does not seem like the father of uh of richard but at any rate so yeah it is a really somber scene and and i I like ashley judd's scene like she has a moment where as he's telling the story about the bike that she rolls a tear uh, of just seeing this man like clearly wounded by the fact that his grandson is just this monster yeah. and and makes no apology for it. it isn't like it couldn't be Richard or no it's immediately like yeah he's a piece of shit yeah and and always has been always will be um it's just it's, I love the character arcs like of where these characters have ended up because my overwhelming memories um from the beginning of the year watching that first season of Twin Peaks was seeing Ben almost tap dance in every scene and kind of frolic and everything was like this like the huge smile and everything was this plan and it was like the the the, the kind of glee of trying to to undermine his enemies uh, and gain the upper hand and then we flash forward you know 25 years and to see him now and he's 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 a very somber, almost joyless man to see where we went. And we know for a fact that, I don't know if it's necessarily, um, you know, David Lynch making a statement or anything, but it was this idea of Ben committing himself at the end of season two to, to being a good man. And then once again, see what, link this to Bobby as well, see what happens when you try to become good in Twin Peaks. Yeah, it, like As, no no good deed goes unpunished. Yeah, in all Twin the Peaks. good characters yeah. in Twin Peaks are miserable. Think about them all. Think about Hawk. Hawk is is a a guy who's very kind of worn down from the years of doing the job that he's been doing. You think of of someone like um, like I say, like Bobby. To see what has happened to him. Truman, who's now got cancer. Uh, the the Doc, who is you know on his last slides, the log lady, all these characters, all the good characters 
are, you know, have been broken down and kind of forlorn. And this is what Twin Peaks has done to them. I think it's like, I don't know if it's a conscious statement that he's making. I just find it very interesting. And it appeals to your dour Scottish nature. Yeah, well, that's how I see life anyway. That's <laughs> kind of literally how I see my life going every single day. Right, finally so, somebody gets it. Yeah, I don't know, <laughs> I, I, finally David Lynch gets it, and I can't wait to get there. Um, so. <laughs> all right, so let's leave that sad uh, situation and hop over to a more amorous uh, situation mm-hmm. where Gordon is regaling a, a lovely woman in red uh, about... A, Gorgeous a, woman in red. Yes. Uh, tales of adventure from the FBI. Yeah, it does sound like something from the Alamo, though. Yeah. Like, he's describing it like, 40 agents have come across the hill. <laughs> like, yeah. what the fuck? It's, it, it's pretty great. And then Albert shows up, interrupting his well, story. <laughs> Right, dude, let's talk about this whole scene. Because this is the scene of the pregnant pause. I fucking love this. Like, all those pauses that we've been talking about that are kind of uncomfortable that David Lynch likes to put in here. This whole scene is just full of them. It's amazing. Yeah. And and all of this is played for comedic effect, and it really works for me. Mm-hmm. Because initially it's, you know, hey, we've got to talk, so, you know. Can you come back later? I'll call you at the bar. And so he, he's going to kick out the French woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, she speaks and we learn she's French. And I don't know. It's a good minute of screen time of her, like, putting on her shoes and yep. fixing her dress and checking yep. her makeup. Smiling. Last, yeah. Oh, always. And, yep. of course, Gordon is just, hey, you know, like, ear to ear grinning at her. And I kind of felt like, remember the waiter? When, oh, yes. Uh, thinking was shot, the bellboy. Yeah. The old bellboy. It, it totally felt like that scene. It felt like almost like a recreation of that scene. <laughs> yeah, in a lot of ways, it is. And so she finally leaves. And Albert has not said a word mm-hmm. this entire time. <laughs> so she she finally leaves. And then... Uh, Best dad joke ever. Best dad joke ever. Right, Gordon says that she uh, that her father owns a turnip farm mm-hmm. uh, nearby, and he says, "I told her to call her mother and tell her that she would turn up soon." <laughs> Albert doesn't break no. the facade of just plain face, and Lynch is kind of hanging on it as if waiting for a. <laughs> right, he's waiting for it, and it goes on too long, and then he says. She didn't get it either. <laughs> it's not the case. Not the problem with the joke. And, and there's another long pause. Mm-hmm. And then Gordon says, Did you know there are 6,000 languages spoken on planet Earth? Yeah, he doesn't move to this either. Nope, no response. Then a hand on Albert's shoulder, Gordon Gordon places a hand on Albert's shoulder and says, Albert, sometimes I really worry about you. <laughs> no, he asks you've jumped a you've jumped a little bit ahead. He says, um he says, What so what have you interrupted me for? And he says that um they're tracking Diane's messages. Oh, right, right. It's the reveal of the text that we saw her yeah. earlier. 
So we like they're obviously. I it makes you wonder if this is why they've deputized Diane to have her around so they can keep an eye on her text messages. And like Gordon, like says, you know, like basically, what is it that we haven't asked her yet? Right. What What do we not know about Las Vegas that we should be asking her and don't know that we don't know? Yeah, we don't know yet. Um, and he's like, well, there are known knowns, Duncan. Yeah, there are known unknowns. This is correct. There are unknown knowns. <laughs> And unknown unknowns. Keep firing, assholes. Uh, <laughs> like, like the... <laughs> you go, you go to a war with the Twin Peaks you got, yep. not the Twin Peaks you want. <laughs> and um, then he cracks another. Does he not crack another bad joke? I believe he does. No, I, he mishears something. He miss. Oh, mishears something. Yes, it... he, he says uh, what? Ah, he says what? Um, they talk about the Bordeaux, and he says, uh, what kind is it? And he lifts his watch and tells him what time it is. It's 11.05. And then there's just a blank face, and that's where he puts his hand in and says, you know, sometimes I really worry. Yeah. <laughs> it, okay. The whole scene is just a, like prime time Gordon. Yeah. If you like Gordon Cole as a character, which I do. I do uh, as well. It's, it's one of those scenes that makes Twin Peaks so wonderful um speaking of wonderful characters duncan it's time to check in with our pals hutch and Chantel, which we haven't seen since what episode nine i think mm-hmm. uh who hutch of course tim roth doing his uh bowie southern accent <laughs> and Chantel is played by jeff or jason lee uh are in a van uh a real uh, a real pedophile kind of van and <laughs> overlooking this house Mm -hmm. and they're arguing not arguing they're Chantel wants to torture the warden yeah and Tim Roth is like man we were kind of under a deadline here we're under a deadline here and (laughs) Chantel is like all right I don't have to torture him let's just get it done and go get some Wendy's Mm -hmm. and Good yeah. evening, Wendy. Uh-huh. Sorry, that's my last stuff against the way the greatest jokes ever. <laughs> oh, that fucking movie. It's terrible, but that's the greatest thing about it. What are you talking about? I've told that joke on here before. Uh-huh. It's croc- Crocodile on D3. Oh, that's right. That's yeah, right. it's the well, worst that's... joke. It's the worst joke ever because they arrive at the drive-in and he's like, hi, welcome to Wendy's. Can I take your order? And he goes, good evening, Wendy. <laughs> Just, I don't know why. It's a stupid joke, but every time it just it, it tickles me. It hits me right. I, I mean, I'm not saying you're wrong. I just I've never seen the third in the Crocodile don't, Dundee don't, series. Don't, but that's the best bit of it. All right, and then they order food from the drive-through thing, and but there's two of them in the van. So then they because they want more food, they pretend that more people are coming. Oh, and. Uh, Hey, Steve. Steve wants a Big Mac and, you know, or whatever it is, like a, a Wendy burger and, a, and they keep ordering extra. Like, like, oh, it's, it's a terrible, terrible scene. But that, like, good evening, Wendy. I don't know why. Every time. It just makes me laugh. So, yes, anyway, back to the series. Tim Roth has a large fucking high-caliber sniper rifle and um, our, our warden arrives and he gives them what is commonly known in the hitman parlance as a double-tap bow. Yeah, the first one hits uh, the warden uh, in the kind of lower, not lower, but uh, to in his back on the left a little bit. 
Yeah, I'm aiming one little sim for the heart. Back into the left. <laughs> <laughs> you tell me Joe Pesci and those eyebrows didn't know anything. Um, So, but he, like he hits him, uh, kind of aiming for his heart, but it clearly doesn't kill the warden because he is now bleeding and clawing his way towards his front door. Yeah. And herein uh, lies the double tap where Hutch fires again, this time shooting uh, the warden in the head. Yeah, headshot. Yeah. At which point, the warden's son, who is what, <laughs> nine ten, yeah. throws open the door and just starts <laughs> screaming, Daddy! <laughs> funny it's, it's so brutal. fucked up and, but it's so david lynch and, and and so then we cut back to the van and uh and chantel uh says all right let's go get that wendy's and mm-hmm. and then off they fuck leaving a shattered family in their wake um yeah it's really striking because it is kind of a it's played as a darkly comic scene but it also involves a father getting murdered almost in front of his child's eyes. Yeah, like the David Lynch did not have to put this kid in this scene. That's what that's what's fucked up about this is he didn't have to do this, but once again it's compounding this innocence being corrupted. Like this this kid had a shitty dad. Like he was a warden but there was something going on with a strawberry. Um but this kid is his life is now ruined because his dad was murdered in front of him. Thanks, David Lynch. Oh, yeah. He'll never be the same. Um, Duncan, there's one scene yep. between us and one of the greatest moments of my life. Um, <laughs> it's just a quick mention, but we see Dr. Amp, a.k.a. Dr. Jacoby, yep. vamping for liberty, as he puts it. Yep. Uh, and and he throws on the ad for his gold shit digging shovel. Yeah, and we see that Nadine is watching it. Of course she is. And she she says to herself, apparently, "It's working for me. Mm-hmm. It's working for me." <laughs> That's how she says it to herself. Yeah. That's terrifying. <laughs> she scares herself. That's why one of her, 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 her inner voice is even more terrifying than her, her voice. One of, that's why one of her eyes is permanently hiding from the other. It's <laughs> what the patch really is. One eyeball was just like, fuck this, I'm out. Um, uh, yeah. It's also how the human body works, Duncan. Mm-hmm. I've seen that on that new medical show where the autistic kid <laughs> diagnoses things. Um... Duncan, mm-hmm. are are you ready? Yes, because the very next shot, Audrey. Yeah, she's back. Audrey, like, Audrey, Audrey, Audrey. Audrey. David, David Lynch is like, oh yeah, yeah. All this stuff's happened. Then, oh by the way, Audrey, <laughs> Audrey's back. Yeah, Audrey is aging fine. Audrey is a good-looking woman. Um, mm-hmm. and Audrey hasn't changed that much either. No, but I was thinking about this. I think she has to an extent. Um, I think what has changed is like she had 
a level of tolerance, not a great level of tolerance, but a level of tolerance for bullshit that appears to be eroded. <laughs> like yeah. she has no time for bullshit now. And because we can swear on this show now, um, she will fucking tell you what she fucking wants to tell you right the fuck now. <laughs> so Audrey is uh, married to a guy named Charlie. Yeah. Which seems to be very much a marriage of convenience. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Audrey, I would imagine Charlie is is pretty rich. Um, yep, and important as well. Look at all this work and all this papers in front of him. Right, so Audrey is going to throw out a lot of character names. I don't know what the fuck she's talking about, but that's all right. Because I'm, yeah. I'm with Audrey to the end. Um, yeah. <laughs> look, yeah, yeah, a lot. Like Billy, Tina. All right, Paul Audrey wants to go look for Billy at the roadhouse. Billy, who she points out to her husband, she is fucking. Yep. And uh, that she wants to, she needs to find Tina. She doesn't want to, yeah, she doesn't want to talk to Tina though, because Tina's a fucking bitch. Can't stand being in the room with her. Yeah. Is what she says. But she needs to talk to Tina because Tina was the last person who saw Billy. Yep. And uh, then, and she's trying to get uh, her husband, Charlie, to, to leave his work and go look at the roadhouse for Billy. Um, and then she says, well, do I need to get, also sounds like she threw some divorce papers at him. Yeah. Cause she's given him papers that he has not signed yet. And he is reluctant to sign them without speaking to his um, lawyer. Cause he thinks that there's maybe what's weird about this is that not only do you have the, not only do you have like the interaction between the two of them being as hostile as it is, the fact that he is like saying, you know, I'm so tired. I've got all these papers before I can sleep. Um, which he keeps like he's very fixated on that. He's not really fixed. He didn't even really seem all that interested when he found out that she was like messing around with Billy. Um, but the the bit that gets his 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 backup. Um, is when there's this idea of him, of her reneging on their contract. And it's not really implied if that's their marriage contract or if there's something else in there. If this is a marriage of convenience, what is that convenience? You know, you'll be my wife and you can have like affairs and all the rest, but however you must blah. I might be looking too much into this, but he seemed to, that was the bit that seemed to ignite the fire under him to actually get into action, to do something. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see what this contract thing is. Am I looking too much into it? Is it and just simply a marriage contract? Also, who, who the fuck is Paul? Uh, yep. who she threatens to have come by? Yeah, she's going to bring Paul by, and then you know, we, we Chuck's name's dropped because like Chuck says that that Tina was the last person to see Billy because Billy stole Chuck's van or some shit like that right. so charlie cuts through all this and he's like that well i'll tell you what whatever i phone tina i'll phone her and i'll find out what's going on and she's like you would do that and he's like yeah i'll do that right so he goes on the phone he phones tina he speaks to tina uh, and then comes off the phone and does not explain does not even say what tina said it sounds kind of there yeah silently. it sounds like he promised tina that he wouldn't tell yeah. Audrey what they talked about. Yep. And then doesn't. Doesn't do it, yeah. And Audrey's like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Oh. Uh, 
so good. Welcome back to the show, Audrey. Yeah, it's nice to have her back. It really is. Like you forget that we've watched twelve hours of Twin Peaks now, <laughs> like, and this is Audrey finally coming back. Yeah, I I have high hopes. I am very excited uh, to to see Audrey return, and I can only imagine in the in the ensuing episodes we will get more. Um, but that's it. We sadly have to bid adieu to Audrey as she hunts for Billy. Yeah. Um, because it's time for Diane to go back to the bar. This time, the bar is closed. <laughs> the, <laughs> yeah, the bar's closed. Uh, but as she sits down, the bartender still like pours her a vodka. Vodka on the rocks. And she's just like, I know you're closed. Thanks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you're, you're good at... Um, yeah. But... Diane has, uh, I guess, Google Earth open or whatever, and yep. has memorized the coordinates from uh, Ruth Davenport's body. We even got a flashback to her looking at the coordinates, just in case we couldn't work out that she'd memorized it. Funny. It's a funny scene. Do you think they'll get it? <laughs> like, yes, David, they got that. How about the nuclear explosion? <laughs> <laughs> that seems too obvious. You don't yeah. want to over-explain it. Um, so she types the coordinates into, uh, her little Google map, whatever. And unsurprisingly, Duncan, mm-hmm. the coordinates lead us to a little town called Twin Peaks. Uh-huh. That seems significant. Possibly. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Coincidenceful. You decide. You know, well, but it, it it's again, all the convergence. Like we're going to get... Yeah. Diane and Albert and Gordon and Tammy and Hawk and Frank, uh, you know, Doppel Cooper, one presumes at some point, mm-hmm. like all of these characters converging, uh, which is going to be great. Or it won't happen. Who knows? <laughs> like, well, I don't know. We're, tw- we're 12 hours into this and we still don't have Agent Cooper. Right. Right. Which is nuts. Yeah. I mean, don't, I, I don't want to take it. I'm loving what we're watching. But ostensibly, the reason you come back to watch Twin Peaks in season three is to find out what happened to Agent Cooper and get Agent Cooper. And David Lynch is drawing this out to an almost uncomfortable level. So, Yeah, and it, and I have no... It's the beauty of, of watching this show is... I can't make any real guess as to how this show might resolve itself. I have ideas based on how narrative should work. Yeah. (laughs) But that's not necessarily the case. That was your first mistake, Bob. Right. Um. (laughs) Uh, Well, before we get out of this episode, we got one more scene where we got to throw some more names around. Where uh, two girls, Abby and Natalie, are uh, having a drink at the roadhouse. Mm -hmm. And they say, hey, Angela hasn't been around. And Angela might be with Clark, but then one of them says that they saw Clark with Mary at the roadhouse a couple of days ago, practically making out, Duncan. Oh, no. Also, they mention Angela is off her meds, and if she finds out about the situation with Clark and Mary, she might lose her shit. Mm Mm-hmm. Then a dude named Trix shows up and says someone almost ran him off the road. And then orders a couple of drinks for the table, uh, and and that's kind of the episode. Yep, it's a it, it's a really odd note to go out on. Yep, uh, I don't know who these people are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think we'll ever find out. Actually, how many mysterious one-off characters have we seen in the Roadhouse now that we've never went back to? 
Yeah, it's just this little snippet of, hey, here's a life going on that we're not going to get into, but there's plenty of shit going on in Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's really interesting. I'm, I'm, I wonder if there's going to be a more direct correlation to these scenes, uh, the seeming randomness of, of the scenes. Because as we've talked about a number of times, stuff in Twin Peaks that seems random often is not. Uh, yeah. and, and some stuff certainly is, and this could be one of those things, but, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's really interesting. I like the last, not the last episode. The last episode was the piano, but the episode before that was the rash. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just, it's very odd. Duncan, this show uh, might it... be a little odd. <laughs> yeah. Surprise, surprise. Uh, it's almost like David Lynch is like making his very own matrix. Um, and we have to get snapshots of other people with nothing else to prove that the world that you exist in is a real world. Um, Do you think that's air that you're breathing? <laughs> Either that or he's got really, like, the, the thing about, like, when I think about Mulholland Drive, right, Lynch's approach to doing Mulholland Drive was that he had all these little vignettes that he just wanted to house in one kind of TV show, so to speak. And then when that never happened, all those vignettes became a movie that all happened in the background of this main story. And it kind of makes me wonder if he just has ideas about conversations, but almost like he has this dialogue that appears and he said that, you know, two two characters are sitting and talking and someone says that we're almost run off the road. Uh, and they, he's just kind of splicing these in as little little bits, or I don't know if they're used on purpose to break up sections of stories. Remember that whilst this show is still, you know, 18 hours of TV, as as he has described it as an 18-hour movie and should be viewed as an entire movie over 18 hours. So whilst we're saying it's a weird note to end on, you have to once again take into account that if this was being watched as, like, one whole movie, what comes next is the bit... that would have a correlation to what we've seen at the end of this episode, if any. So, yeah, it, it's very, there are a lot of these scenes, and I just I don't know why they're there. But to be honest with you, we keep going back to the double R to finish off pretty much like ninety five percent of the time. Those of the scenes that finished it off, and maybe if we're going back to a bar, maybe it's just natural to overhear conversations that people are having. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah, uh, it remains unanswered, and and probably will until we get to the end of this thing. Yeah, uh, and then we'll just know whether or not it's just abandoned. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see. Uh, but man, like I said at the end of the last episode, uh, episode eleven. I mean, there's just such a sense of momentum in these episodes now. Of like, it feels like I don't know what we're moving towards, but we're definitely moving towards it. Yeah, and. Uh, God, and the return of Audrey. I mean, come on, man. Come on, man. Huge. Huge for that. I mean, you, you wouldn't think, like, and in Twin Peaks of old, the return of a character like Audrey would have been the whole episode. Um, but there was so much more going on in this episode that it was just kind of cool. Like, I, I really I really enjoy the fact that we got to, to go back and see Mrs. Palmer and see what's happened to her. Um, the fact that, you know, we, we've we've caught up with another couple of tangents that are that have been kind of weaved around um, over these two episodes. We've carried a lot of what the show has done thus far this season through. Um, 
We've lost some characters. We've gained new suspicions over other characters. We've closed out some storylines, uh, which I'll be interested to see. Is that the last we'll see of uh, Tim Roth? Um, uh, you know, or, 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 or Jennifer Lee? Is that the, the last time we're going to see them, or are they going to appear later on? Where, where is Doppelkoop? We've not seen him now in, what, two episodes? Um, yeah. So so where is he? You know, like, th- th- there's so much going on now that I, I kind of feel the next episode is likely if you're if you're noticing like shifts in characters and all the rest, we're probably going to get quite a lot of doppelkoop. I'm looking forward to that because we need to. We've six hours left, six episodes left, uh, and a lot of stories still to get through. And it's converging. It's maybe not necessarily converging at the pace I would like in certain aspects, but. For the most part, these two episodes were brilliant. Once again, like this this season has not had one bad episode at all, or one episode where I'm like, oh, it kind of felt a bit frustrating. Every single one of them has been a home run, uh, and I can't think we've joked about this like off air, not even joked, kind of seriously hypothesizing this on Facebook. At this stage, this could be the best TV's gonna get. <laughs> like, it's just it's a wonderfully weird experience, unlike anything. I've ever seen, um, and I don't think I ever will see it. I think shows like people will try and emulate what Twin Peaks is doing here, very much like it did before. But once again, there is only one Twin Peaks, there is only one David Lynch, and um, yeah, it's it's just on a different level to anything else. Yeah, and I mean, it has the advantage of having this, you know, twenty-five year old cult series, yeah, to to draw from. But it's it's such a different thing than that, or even Firewalk with me, and it, and it just, man, it just keeps taking turns that are are surprising and wonderful and weird and dark and horrible and you know, like, yeah. See if they played this straight, that you know, I wouldn't have worked yeah. at all. See if yeah. they'd just be like, right, we're going to go back and there was another mystery that we didn't know about in Twin Peaks and Agent Cooper's going to escape pretty early on and now we're going to go... See if they'd done that, this show wouldn't... I, I probably would have lost interest by now. Um, the fact that they've done what they've done and the fact that that's a conscious decision that they've done what they've done is just... It's incredible. Yeah, it, it's so good. I mean, there's... It, it just is unlike anything that ever was uh in in terms of a television show in the choices it's making about what it thinks its audience wants yeah and and maybe that's the secret is it doesn't give a shit what the audience wants it's just what mark frost and david lynch wanted and as a result it it just becomes this kind of a, a very pure expression of where twin peaks felt like it was headed anyway yeah. Uh, like when you read Secret History, it's like, well, sh- shit, like all of this mystical stuff that was hinted at in, the, you know, the the early ABC series is just blown up. I mean, it's turned to 11 and that's what the show is now is it's an existential mystery almost. Yeah. And it, oh, it's so good, Duncan. Yeah, it's, I just, it's incredible. I just want to squeeze out the Lynchian juices in this show and bathe <laughs> in them. Like like essential oils. Um, mm. <laughs> we will, uh, of course, be returning uh, shortly to discuss episodes uh, 13 and 14. Is that yeah. what they are? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. 
13 and 14 of uh, Twin Peaks, uh, colon, the Returnsies. Uh, before we get out of here, though, Duncan, mm-hmm. uh, what are you looking forward to watching uh, in, in the next week or so? Well, yeah, going back to my list, because uh, the next time we speak, I will probably be near completed my list. Um, so really looking forward to checking out uh, 1922, the new Stephen King adaptation, which has made its way to Netflix. Heard very good things about that. So can't wait to, to finally check that one out. And um, also L Bar, which is um, The Bar, which is on Netflix at the moment in both the States and the UK. It's a new effort by Alex D. Iglesias, the guy that did Witching and Bitching. So, yeah, I'm looking. those are the two that I'm really looking forward to checking out uh, before our next recording. What about yourself? Uh, I, I'm curious about L Bar as well. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't realize that was on Netflix. I'll give that a look. Um, also, as I do the uh, 31 Days of Halloween stuff, um, coming up on my, you know, kind of top 10 uh, for Halloween. So it's getting real haunted housey and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm going to slip in a little house. Oh, nice. Uh, which I, it, I haven't watched in a little while. Uh, I didn't know if I was going to watch it this Halloween, but uh, I really, really want to watch uh, that again and, and watch it almost as just the crazy haunted house movie it is. And mm-hmm. not, not so much get into all the uh, menstrual subtext. <laughs> but uh, that and uh, I do want to see Happy Death Day. I, I hear nothing but how fun that movie is. Yeah, uh, I think you're going to have a black as someone who is not invested in fl- uh, in flasher movies. <laughs> oh, I'm invested in those. Duncan. <laughs> uh, as someone that's not invested in slasher movies, um, I think you will have quite a bit of fun of it. You'll get most of the, the references and the movie itself knows exactly what it is. It doesn't try and do anything out with its remit, uh, and its remit is handled very well. So, yeah, I think you're going to have a ball. All right. Uh, folks, thanks for listening. Uh, we always very much appreciate it. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, uh, do the, you know, rate the show and review it and tell friends, all that stuff, all the stuff that keeps us uh, out of jail, quite frankly. And uh, Duncan would go right to the streets without this show. yes it's true yeah i'm laughing but it's true yeah i mean it's a real king of new york kind of scenario here uh (laughs) money you know what i love uh (laughs) did you see did you see dave grohl um doing his impression of christopher walken no oh it's the greatest oh you you need to find it online after we finish talking but he tells a story about when they played saturday night live and christopher walken was the host and walken walked up to them and basically said you know is the you know is the emphasis on the word foo or is it on fighters and david grows like that and we know who this guy is and we know how he talks so we said it's fighters so he went at his days and went ladies and gentlemen foo fighters nice nice but Dave Grohl's impression is amazing. He sounds like Christopher Walken. You'll love it. All right. I'll 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 seek that out. Listeners, you should too. Um, all right. So we'll be back in a week with the... Would that be the... Third last episode. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, yeah, this was number four in the, uh, the final stretch. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's all... You know, oh, oh, death and life. The days that are no more, Duncan. Um, mm. Folks, on that note, uh, while you, you contemplate your mortality, have a wonderful week, and we will see you next time. Say goodnight, Duncan. Goodnight, Duncan. <laughs>
Was that was that an impression of me? <laughs> I'll leave it to the listeners to decide. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>